0: Welcome to the Total Soccer Show's Euro 2020 review show, Day 3, Group C, Group D... Everything was all right for England, including the left-back who was definitely all right and the right-back who was left with not much to do. Meanwhile, we had pandevimonium in Bucharest as North Macedonia put up a fight against Austria. And Orangey, you glad? That was a bad one. If you watched the action in Amsterdam where the action between Holland and Ukraine was insane in the membrane. Joining me today, we have a man who is younger than a North Macedonian goal scorer, Mr Taylor Rockwell.
1: (laughs) I am only just but I am. I will take that and I would like to take a moment to give credit to England's noble heroes who persevered through temperatures approximating the sun. I believe is what I was led to believe from the Guardian that it was sweltering and almost like the uh the atmosphere was on fire.
0: Uh revenge is a dish best served at 80 degrees Celsius That's Fahrenheit sorry uh, uh Taylor which is apparently too hot for British people to play soccer in. They've clearly never been to uh Arizona Joe Larry how are you doing today?
2: I'm great, Ryan, and thank you for giving me a chance to also roast British people about the weather. It is 112 degrees here in, in Phoenix as we're recording right now, which to me feels like a pretty average summer day. I don't, I don't really want to hear it about it being too hot to play in 80 degree weather.
0: Let's be fair to the people in Great Britain, it, the sun only shines around four days a year, and it <laughs> happened to be one of the days today, which is why there was a massive shadow on half of the field at Wembley for our viewing pleasure. Uh, we have Taylor, we have Joe with us, we also have a man who is from one of the top three nations in the United Kingdom who are competing in this tournament, Graham Rudman.
3: Hello, Ryan. Yes, we get it. You, you guys have your your sunny climates and your big cars <laughs> and your drive-through pharmacies. And yeah, okay, we get it. Twenty-eight That's- degrees Celsius is a is a hot day here, especially for Glasgow. And it wasn't twenty-eight degrees here, and we thought it was a hot day. How much <laughs> snow did you have today, Graham? Um, only in the morning, and then by the afternoon it had thawed. I can't. Is that a joke? I can't tell with Graham. <laughs> no, it didn't. It didn't snow today, right. but it, right. it, it, it wasn't as hot as it was in London. I'll, t- I'll tell you that
1: much. Right. Was, I apologize for jumping it again, but Graham, can you run through your list of what makes America? W- what was that list again? I believe it was. Did I hear drive-through pharmacies is what yeah, appears to be on drive, your list of what makes America? Drive, America.
3: Yeah, drive-through pharmacies, uh, big cars, and two-liter uh, soda cups. I think is what <laughs> makes America.
1: Yep, that's it. That's all. That's what we have these days. That's what we claim to fame. Daniel, mm-hmm. what's a liter? That sounds like a European thing. Oh, never mind. I don't like that. Liter of cola. I don't like that at all. <laughs>
0: I've been here too long. Shall we move on and talk about England <laughs> against
1: Croatia? The match
0: that happened at 9 a.m. Eastern. If you were up bright and early to watch that one, congratulations to you. You watched the Three Lions, the inventors of the game, the guardians of the world's Thank favorite God. pastime, get their uh, first ever win of the first game European yeah. <laughs> Championships. <laughs> it was their tenth attempt. Don't try and overtalk me when I'm talking up England. Thank you very much, Graham Ruthven uh, <laughs> we, well, Let's let's uh, discuss Graham. Why don't you uh, pitch in and start with? We're talking a bit about England. For me, the first ten minutes or so were the best England I've ever seen. There were periods after that where it started to get a bit passive, a bit sidewaysy, and maybe some struggles. But I was pretty impressed with the way England came out of the gate.
3: I would I would go further than ten minutes to be honest. I thought it was about the, the first twenty five minutes. I thought it was a, a really high tempo, high intensity performance from England. And I did I did uh, say last night in the podcast I just had a hunch that. England were maybe going to blow Croatia away a little bit and and watching that first 25 minutes I thought oh here we go they are actually going to do that and then it it all got a bit passive and a little bit safe and actually just before England scored what proved to be the winning goal I, I put in our group chat that I thought it was dreadful I thought England had fallen into this rhythm of just being too safe too many sideways passes and Calvin Phillips creates the goal just I think from Almost getting a little bit fed up and just deciding to do something on his own and skip past a couple of players and, and play the pass through for Sterling. But um obviously a win is a win and, and you can't argue too much with that. But I, I do have a lot of thoughts in, on how England set up in this game and I thought some stuff did work and other things didn't.
0: Okay, so it was a 4-2-3-1. Some of us may have been expecting a back three, Graham. Uh, we had some uh, s- some players who were left out of the squad entirely. Uh, Sancho and-, and Ben Chua weren't even in the uh, match day squad. I think you're allowed 23 players of your 26 for selection. Harry Maguire was out, but he's not 100% fit at the moment. I think I said in the preview, or maybe I said it yesterday, that I wanted to see Calvin Phillips. I wanted to see Phil Foden. I wanted to see Jude Bellingham play. And we got all of them, at least a, a little cameo from Jude Bellingham at the end. So I was pretty happy about that. But I guess you want to maybe talk about the left-back situation with uh, with, with old Trips back there.
3: Yeah, I, I I didn't get it, to be honest. I didn't get it before kick-off and you go, well, OK, I, I trained uh, UEFA pro-license manager is making this decision. He probably has a better idea than, than I. But I, the, throughout the whole 90 minutes, I didn't totally understand why Trippery was was playing at left-back. I, I guess maybe it was to stop Croatia uh, making any progress on, on their wings, but I, d- I didn't feel like that was a particular strength of theirs and I just felt like Trippier wasn't really offering an outlet down that that, that wing and it, he kept on cutting inside and making things a little bit more congested and I, I put in the group chat at half-time that England's fullbacks had attempted two crosses in 45 minutes and then completed zero for a team that has a bajillion excellent world-class fullbacks that wasn't ideal and and, and I, I didn't really understand what Southgate was going for there however I thought he got it right with Sterling over Grealish I would say
0: okay yeah that's interesting we can talk about Grealish in a second but it's quite obvious what was happening with Kieran Trippier if you ask me Graham he's got it in his contract that he can only play in the shade in the first half so he insisted on playing on the left-hand side I think that's much I, I must have got that right. I think, um, <laughs> uh, Joe. Joe what, are we, what, what were your thoughts on the, on the setup of England here? Uh, maybe the personnel selection. I, I thought it worked pretty well in general. I do. I do share Graham's reservations about Trippier's left back, though.
2: No, I, I do too. But overall, I thought. This is exactly what Gareth Southgate wanted, right? He, he created this balanced team, and part of that balance was using the fullbacks in, in a non-attacking capacity, really. They didn't get forward. They stayed mm-hmm. very connected to John Stones and Mings in, in the back. And it was this line of four, and sure it staggered and the fullbacks pushed up a little bit, but it was really those four players and then Declan Rice in front of them with with Calvin Phillips and Mason Mount ahead of Rice as those eights, and then you have the front three. It was really that back five that stayed compact and stayed tight. And that hurt England in an attacking sense, right? They didn't create a ton of clear-cut chances. The goal was a beautiful sequence that I'm hoping we'll talk about in a little bit. But other than that, they had a couple nice moments off of a great throw-in routine that they'd drawn up before the game. But there wasn't a ton of attacking movement from them, and that was deliberate because you're going up against a Croatia team that has a lot of talent. They didn't look good at all in this game to me, and part of that is because their front three wasn't especially dynamic. They didn't create a lot of chances on their own. But a lot of that was England saying, okay, We're going to sacrifice some attacking output in order to be a little bit more solid defensively.
0: So uh, that let's let's talk about maybe the goal and also Taylor um, the, the 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 double pivot as it was perhaps mm-hmm. Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips and Calvin Phillips obviously was given a bit more license to go forward. He wasn't told to sit beside Rice. Evidently, help break up play in the opposing half. Got forward quite a lot. Uh, Yorkshire Pirlo was uh, trending on uh, English Twitter, but uh, I saw Squawker mention that he was passing like Pirlo. He was tackling like a two. So he was dribbling like a car. He was the entire Milan midfield in this
1: game. <laughs> I mean, yeah, pretty much. I think Marcelo Bielsa has to be pleased with that one. Uh, it's crazy to think about this as a player who uh, like, was in the championship not long ago. And I think if you watch the Leeds documentary, they talk a lot about how he was a player that people thought was never going to reach that high potential, that maybe he needed to be on the way out. And instead, here he is starting for England, and I would say looking like one of, if not the best players for them uh, on the day. And he was immense, both literally and figuratively and especially the way he kind of does everything you need him to do in the lead up to the goal. It's a great run, it's great strength, but then it's great uh, vision and awareness and it's also just good passing range to put the ball exactly where he needed to. I thought it was a, a very good finish from him from start to finish and for a player who again has kind of come from where he has to be where he is, I think it made it that much greater. I also appreciate Joe hoping that we're going to talk about the goal as though there's any way Ryan is going to let us not talk about the goal. <laughs> um, before You're we right. do that, though, I did want to say I, I fully agree with everything Joe said, and the only other thing I wanted to point out was I, like, I am loath to give Gareth Southgate too much credit. I'm not sure why. I think it just makes me uncomfortable because I feel like there will be another shoe dropping at some point. But for a manager who a lot of the talk was about, like at least from the opposition, about how they're being... Overlooked how England aren't giving Croatia the credit about how they're, you know, they're, they're taking them light. They're writing them off. They're, they're underrating them and what's going to happen. His game plan was what you do if you think the yeah. opposition is going to cause you problems. He yeah. game planned for a strong team. And I think it's a credit to him that he really did make some, make some adjustments that limited what England were able to do in their attack consistently or for like the entirety of the game. But at the same time, really nullified what Croatia wanted to do. And I think that's a credit to him.
0: 4D chest from Southgate then, Taylor.
1: <laughs> Something like that. Something <laughs> like that. I still, I mean, I will say, like, I think Luke Shaw is a pretty good defender. So I, I don't know if it's just that Kieran Trippier is that much better or does a few specific things better than anybody else. I don't really have an idea for why that choice was made, aside from Trippier, is just going to be defensive. But yeah. I guess it worked out in the end, so who am I to judge? It Do you get they... to a point in the match, though, where you think
3: Southgate has given them a little bit too much respect? I, th- I think yeah. I can understand why he would set up that way. But I think once you get through an hour, you you, you kind of realize that this Croatia team aren't really offering much at all. And I, I, I just think that the longer you, you stay at 1-0, obviously it's, you know, I'm stating the obvious here, but it's a, it's a dangerous scoreline. You know, Croatia could create, uh, you know, a set piece or get some get a little bit of luck, and then all of a sudden you've dropped two points. I just, I just felt like I wanted Southgate once he was sure of England's superiority, and I think they definitely had that here. I just wanted him to kind of un- unleash them a little bit to get that second goal, and just to make sure that was the only thing that concerned me with his setup.
1: Yeah, that's a fair point, Graham. And I think you look at the way Austria like changed things up. We'll talk about that game later. But they put players in better attacking positions to create attacking chances, and that's precisely what they did. I think you're probably right, because we we oftentimes talk about managers who change it up, take out the stronger players, the stronger attacking players, and go defensive too early, and then they're made to suffer for it. And on the day this works out, but I think that is maybe where some of that hesitation to praise Southgate fully comes from, is that... Does a stronger opponent then find their way back into this game if you don't take the game by the scruff of the neck, if you don't make those changes to keep the opponent reacting and having to change what they're doing? If you give them the time to grow into the game, and especially with a player like Luka Modric, maybe with a few stronger players around him, do they get a result? I think it's a fair question and a fair thing to keep an eye on if you're an England fan.
0: So I, I was pleased with this England performance in general, I think. I thought it, the team looked very well balanced. I thought the Phillips and Rice thing in the middle worked really well. I liked how free Mason Mount's role seemed to be. Uh, Tyrone Mings, I thought, stepped up really well in, into this uh, this kind of level. I was impressed with him. I think the only player I had my reservations about, and it's someone I've had very many reservations about before uh, for England, is Harry Kane, who I think was probably England's uh, most disappointing player. Quite anonymous. I mean, and now I think about it, Quite similar to at the 2018 World Cup, where yes, he what was he tied Golden Boot in the end, but <laughs> yeah, in a, in a lot of games went went missing for quite a long time, and I think he only had like 17 touches or something, and uh, I, I can't remember him doing anything terribly effective apart from uh, missing a chance and clattering into the post at one point. So um, a, a little bit concerned there. I, I, I don't know whether we're going to see. What do you think, Graham? Is, is he going to stick with this kind of system, do you think? Or is this particularly tailored to, Cro- uh, to Croatia? Could you see this kind of uh, system being used against Scotland?
3: I think you're going to need to impose yourself a bit more against against Scotland just because we're not really going to come on to, to England much. And I think the onus will be on England to to create a little bit more. Just just to add to your thoughts on, on Kane, I thought the only positive, and I, I swear this isn't... A joke, I don't mean this as a joke, but I thought the only positive was that Southgate took him off. And what I mean by that is yeah. I yeah. thought it was going to be a Ronaldo style situation where he doesn't come off, he plays every single minute of every single game. And so Southgate's willingness to actually change that up, I thought was quite encouraging. And to put put Rashford through the middle, which is obviously a a different sort of option to Kane, I I thought that was the, the, I mean, that's not much of a positive for for Harry Kane individually, but I thought it was a positive for England that there was that willingness.
0: Yeah, and big respect to Jude Bellingham that he showed as well. To give him the trust to see out the last 10 minutes of the game, I thought that was pretty impressive. And uh, Jude Bellingham, uh, I, I think, I can't remember who said the tweet. It was Franklin Leonard on Twitter who said, Jude Bellingham was born the week of the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. <laughs> Yeah, that makes me feel old. But um, I, I, was, I was hoping to see Jack Grealish. I, I know a lot of people wanted to see him start, but I, was, I, I thought he had 70th minute substitute written all over him to come into this. And obviously the 70th minute was when Rashford came in for Foden. Um, so I, I'll be interested to see if he plays a part later on in this. But Joe, uh, if we can talk about Croatia, as much as England's setup was competent and Gareth Southgate may have done the right thing, they didn't offer much, did they?
2: no not at all they ended with 0.36 expected goals in this game and they didn't score any goals and that looks about right between those two numbers they weren't dangerous and again I think a lot of that was to do with England but Kremerich on the right wing didn't look particularly dangerous Perisic on the left wing didn't look super dangerous we know he can be on the dribble but he either wasn't afforded a lot of space or didn't take advantage of the space that that he was in I thought really the only moments that Croatia actually threatened England and, and threatened to break down their block was when Luka Modric dropped deep he was playing mostly in this game as a number 10 that was shaded to the right side of Croatia's four two three one. It was a little little different in certain moments. but when he would drop deep, you could just see the quality that he has to help Croatia progress, play, break through England's 4-3-3 press, and then move the ball forward into the final third. I think the first time he really did that, though, was about 30 minutes into this game. And, and by then, Croatia really weren't in any sort of attacking rhythm. They struggled to create chances in those first 30 minutes. And and he didn't have enough help around him to help move the ball forward and actually create meaningful goal-scoring opportunities. So, yeah, a really disappointing performance from Croatia, I thought. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Luka Modric drop deeper more often, or even just start in a deeper position going forward in this group.
0: Taylor, um, eight shots each, say the stats here, around even possession as well. Those make it seem like it was closer than it seemed. But to to emphasize, I didn't feel terribly threatened by Croatia during this game. It started off, I thought it might be a replay of the uh, World Cup semi-final where England started brightly and slowly faded away, but that didn't seem to happen. Croatia just seemed like they were a couple of years older. They never really got going. They had very little urgency going forward, a lot of sterile possession, and just, yeah, I I didn't feel, I didn't get anxious watching this game. Let me say that.
1: I I would put it in the class of the Russia team that we've already talked about on this show. That like they 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 looked so good in the last World Cup. They were doing so many things so well that there's an idea like oh they're just going to continue that. But if you're continuing it two years on and teams are a little bit more prepared, it doesn't work as well. I think the answer was certainly no for Russia, and it seems like it was no on the day for Croatia. Uh, I I do think that that is. Like Maybe to be a slight pessimist, a slightly worrying sign for Gareth Southgate in England, that there was, I think, a caution of like, they could turn it on any moment. We know Croatia can be tricky. We don't want to present them any opportunities. And while I think the game plan initially is smart in kind of blocking what they want to do, forcing them to adjust their game plan and then England can play, I think there was a little bit of hesitation, a little bit of maybe over caution as to they're there for the taking. Let's go out and get that next one. And and I think they probably could have won this game more comprehensively. I think a win is a win. So I'm not trying to say that it was a bad game by any stretch. Uh, but that is the only other wrinkle for me is like you you wouldn't hate seeing them try to really take the game to croatia but it is the opening game uh game for england it's the yeah. first time they've won the opening game of a euro so i think you can't really say too much negative about them i think uh they they did uh, more than enough to handle Croatia and I think for Croatia there are many 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 more questions than there are for England
0: indeed yeah and for a game I was expecting to draw I, I can't I can't argue with three yeah. points and being in the driving seat of this group Graham um, Scotland that will be losing to Czech Republic tomorrow morning at nine Eastern um, oh my it, God. it's I, I want to get your perspective <laughs> on how the group is going to shake out England or whoever tops this group, gram are going to be likely facing, well, they will be facing the team that finishes second in the group of death. So France, Germany or Portugal, maybe Hungary, who knows? If you finish second in this group, gram, you get the runner up in group E. So an easier path. But then, of course, at the next step, then you'd meet the group of death winner, technically. So um, it's 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 tricky to see. What, I mean, I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to say is finishing top in this group, gram might not necessarily be the best thing.
3: Yeah and that was one of the things that that popped into my mind when I was watching this game and, and and I think um I think I'm right in saying that so when I did the bracket the Euro bracket I had Scotland going through as one of the third place teams the best third place teams and I see when I when I contrasted England's route with having England finishing top of this group Scotland Actually, I ended up with a much easier path for Scotland finishing in third. I, I thought, I mean, we're going to talk about this game later, but um, I thought Ukraine might top their group. So I had Ukraine, but even Netherlands, if they top that group, is is, is an easier path than, you know, as you say, the, the group of death for, for, for England. Um, and then I, th- I think I had Denmark in the in the quarterfinals or something like that. So And in, in, in England's pass, again, seems to be more difficult. So, yes, it's a little bit of a wrinkle with this group that maybe finishing top isn't the the best outcome and 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 maybe uh, you know I don't I always think it's it's funny when people say they sh- that teams should try and draw or lose games because that that doesn't really work out that way but yeah if, if England could somehow manufacture winning their first two games and then losing the last one to to uh, finish second that might actually work it
0: better you want England to win their second game Graham just to be clear. Uh, no, I do not. I have reconsidered
3: my words and I would now like it the other way
1: around. Please, soccer gods. <laughs> I cannot tell. And I would like to know, is Graham like a Buddhist or is he just keeping his powder dry until England inevitably have a misstep and then he's going to go all in on Ryan Bailey? I'm not sure which one it is, but I'm I'm going to keep tuning in to find out because I'm waiting for the day when Graham has, has a the shot thing- back at, at Ryan.
3: The thing is I am quietly confident about next ah. Friday night and so I'm just I'm just uh I'm reluctant to go too too strong right now for fear <laughs> of embarrassment further down the line but if it if if it if uh, it happens next Friday then I'll be going full on yes
0: Taylor, the simple answer is Graham is a lot classier than I am, and uh, he does know that an England implosion is coming at some point, and yeah, keeping his powder dry. Well, uh, on that note, shall we move on to the uh, second game of Sunday, Uh, Austria against North Macedonia, Macedonia, excuse me. this one finishing 3-1 to Austria in the end. A pretty entertaining game, Uh, a first tournament win apparently for Austria since 1990 when they beat the USA. Fun fact for you there: uh, first ever European Championship. Yeah, apparently so. <laughs> <laughs> Not fun for you, okay? Uh, <laughs> first ever European Championship win as well. Uh, and then North Macedonia, of course, getting their first ever goal at a tournament with uh, Goran Pandev getting it aged age 37 years, 321 days older than all of us. I'll emphasise that once again. I'm very pleased to to say his, that.
3: Sorry, Ryan. his debut for Macedonia was two years before Jude Bellingham was born. <laughs>
0: Wow! So he had to wait a full two years playing for the national team before he could watch Pirates of the Caribbean. Is that what you're saying?
3: <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the takeaway from that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Um, Taylor, did you do, did you pre, did you preview Austria? I'm, try, I'm I trying did. to remember. You did excellent. I'm glad my memory hasn't completely given way. Uh, what did you make of the setup here? Uh, there was much made on the coverage and indeed uh, on social of the use of David Alaba, certainly in the first half where uh, where he was uh, in the middle of a back three, and then just. Went wherever he wanted. Yep.
1: (laughs) Which, which is more, the, the latter is more what I thought it would be. Ladder, former. The former is what I thought it would be. Uh, that I think, I thought he would have a bit more license. I thought he'd be either as a left back or a left wing back and given the freedom to attack, to go central, to create overloads, maybe to stay wide, to pull players out. Uh, so seeing him start at center back, was more of a surprise, but it did make sense if you want your sort of most reliable, most capable player who is also a defender playing in the most central position to make sure you get off to a good start. I I get that. Weird that he is sort of involved in that Pendev goal in a series of unfortunate events, uh, if you are rooting for Austria. But I did not expect that. I think probably there were uh, still injury issues. They did not have Baumgartlinger, so maybe they wanted to just sort of overload that middle and then have a good, solid captain at the base of it. Uh, But I would Expect them to let him uh, loose a little bit more in their remaining group stage games just to get more involved in the attack and to help create something because they get the opening goal. But I think that ball in for the go ahead goal is is very, very, very impressive from Alaba. And then I thought his attacking contributions once he got in into uh, North Macedonia's uh, half of the field more often not only created more, but also just made North Macedonia, I think, a little bit more concerned about what was happening. Just to get with um,
0: American, no, non-control. sorry, Graham, what does the go-ahead goal mean, the goal that puts you ahead? Is that what, yeah. Okay, because what, what do you call the first goal, then, you made it 1-0? I
1: think because at that point they were, they'd equalized, The first right? goal. So then, yeah, you call it the first goal. I mean, that could be the go-ahead <laughs> goal, too. Then there's the equalizer, then there's the next go-ahead goal.
0: Got it, because I thought you were going to refer to Sevets' as assist for the go-ahead first goal as well, which was rather rather tasty as well, was it not?
1: Uh, it, I mean, that ball, that was maybe my play of the game. Like, the, just that he knows exactly where he's putting that ball. And it is a line drive pass that he, if he hits 2% harder, goes out of bounds and does not go, and, it, and maybe if it's under hit, it's intercepted or it just takes too long to get there. So it's a great ball in. And then credit to Liner for an excellent finish. Not Lamer, not Limer, but Liner. That's not confusing at all to have them on the same side of the field in the same area. Uh, yeah, I, I thought the way he got on the end of that one and redirected it back, uh, back to the far post. Very impressive. Ryan, what really confuses me is when a team wins like seven to one and the second goal is listed as the game winner, even though they scored five more. It's like, I know technically that is the case. That, that one I, I have, I have beef with.
0: Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Graham, I rudely interrupted. What were you going to say?
3: No, I was just going to say I found myself turning into a proper football man with regards to Alaba's positioning in this game in the second half. Where I just ended up shouting, "Get it in the mixer, just cross it in." <laughs> enough of this, en- enough of this libero nonsense. This, you know, <laughs> sweeper defender nonsense. Yep. Just get forward and get
0: the ball in. And hey, that's that is what he did. So maybe proper football, football, football man men, men are, are, get the
3: yeah,
2: maybe they're right every so often.
0: Joe, did you do any screaming during this one at Alaba's positioning at
2: all? <laughs> I didn't. I could see the rationale for having him in the middle of that back three, but then also it was a conscious shift from Austria to put him as their left-sided center back for the last 15, 20 minutes of this game. That's where you get that assist. I, that that assist zone for Austria, where that cross from Alaba comes from, and the first ball in from Sabitzer, that the first assist, I should say. That space it was it was less pronounced for Alaba's ball in, but but especially on the Sabitzer cross to give Austria their. First slash go ahead slash opening goal. It it comes from that space just outside of North Macedonia's midfield three. They were, North Macedonia was in this 5-3-2 defensive block, usually with all those outfield players back in their own half, absorbing pressure from Austria. They got forward some, but defensively that was their general posture. And I I tweeted this out, but Finland did this yesterday too, before, you know, everything happened in that game. Teams that have come into this, this tournament playing a 5-3-2 defensive block, There's a reason why we don't see a lot of that. And North Macedonia left space on the outside of their midfield three in that pocket for Sabitzer most often. He did it four times in the first half that I counted. And there were a couple other players that bent in balls from that space as well. But Sabitzer and Austria... Just went off from those little spaces outside of North Macedonia's midfield three, crossing the ball in. Because is the wing back supposed to step in and tuck inside and move forward to pressure that ball? Is the outside central midfielder supposed to step over, or, or if that happens, do you then leave yourself exposed in the middle? There were all these problems for North Macedonia that, honestly, I think it could have been worse for them in certain moments with how Austria found that space. But that's that's just a main tactical observation I've had from this tournament so far: is the risk of defending in the shape that North Macedonia. Macedonia used in this game.
0: Um, Graham, as our North Macedonia resident expert, I'll come to you shortly on them. But I just wanted to touch one more point on uh, on Austria. It's good to see uh, Marko Nortevic come on for the last half an hour. Does he like anything? He
2: seems angry at the
0: world. Like he was angry at scoring. He was. He seemed angry at everybody involved. Like is, is it just pure fury that that fuels him? I'll leave that open to anybody to answer. <laughs> I don't want to get get angry at us.
3: I mean, but. I found it I found it enjoyable that Alawa was telling him to like enough of that. <laughs> he kind of <laughs> grabbed him by the by the face. Um but yeah, he's he kind of does the whole Zlatan thing even more annoyingly than Zlatan does himself. So. Yeah. <laughs> he
1: he definitely strikes me as one of those players like like, you know, and he is way better way 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 better than I will ever be. But I I've played with people who like you want them on your team when they're taking out that frustration on the on the opposition, especially when it manifests as frustrating the opponent and then backing it up with performance. But it can also, and same thing with Zlatan, rebound onto his own teammates, and that's where probably you do want to dial that energy down if you are, say, Davalaba, just to make sure that it doesn't the switch doesn't flip and suddenly he's screaming at everybody around him because that's not quite the vibe you need if you're trying to play a, a harmonious, unified approach.
0: Yeah, calm it down, dollar stores, Latan. Yeah. Anyway, um, Graham on North Macedonia. A few words on them, uh, as, as Joe mentioned, there, sort of the low block five three two they were sitting. In. It seemed like their keeper rescued them a few times in this one, but it was more competitive than a three one would suggest.
3: I think yeah certainly in the, in the first half it was, and to be honest, this performance, given everything that I'd read about them and everything I'd, I'd watched of them and our, before our preview podcast was pretty much what I, what I thought it would would be um I think it was within the first ten minutes um Pandev was kind of taking the ball and then demanding Alioski overlap him and Alioski was coming from way deep and, and surging into the box and that was a, a feature of the the, the play that I, of their play that I expected. Another thing I saw was quite switch sorry, quite quick switches of play between one side and the other, which was another thing that I'd, I'd seen in, in, a, in some of their games before this tournament. So I, I think, um, obviously, the, the, the wing-back shape, as, uh, as Joe pinpointed there, is it, it comes with its defensive drawbacks, with space, and, and behind them, we saw that, obviously, with, um, you know, with the goals that, that, that Austria scored, particularly the first one, when, obviously, the, when Lymer, uh sorry, Liner is it Liner. Hey. There we go. Uh, drifts in behind to to finish that is obviously a, a little bit of a flaw with that system, but yeah, it was it was it was kind of what I expected from them in that they lost, and I expect they will finish bottom of this group. But I don't think they'll be humiliated in in any game. And this one was maybe just on the brink of humiliation in terms of the scoreline, but I think their performance was
1: quite competitive. Yeah, both. Can teams- we also agree. I was gonna say, sorry real quick, Ryan. I was just gonna ask if we can all agree that that was clearly Austria just wanting Goran Pandev to score. That's the only way I can, I can understand what happened in the sequence that led <laughs> to that goal is that they were just like, whatever happens. We need to give him a chance to score a goal. So everybody just make a series of calamitous mistakes that don't make any sense and sort of defy physics at times and then he'll score and we'll be fine.
0: Yeah. Backman was like, <laughs> "Look at look at his hairline. He's got a bald patch. Come on, let's just let the fella have a go. Come on. Let's just give him one. Let's just give him one and then we'll be fine." <laughs> there we go. Well, both teams accounting for themselves reasonably well i think we can say that definitely uh, that game in group c and then we had the later game uh three eastern um, austria leading the group by the way second in the group the netherlands who uh took on ukraine in amsterdam 3-2 to, uh, to the netherlands this one finishing um best game and best goal so far taylor i think this was a, a pretty exciting game had rapid pace from the outset lots of chaos lots of wild stuff lots of interesting uses of players <laughs> tell, tell us about it taylor <laughs>
1: <Play> of- <laughs> um I I appreciated, I, was it you, Ryan, who was asking, Like, does anybody have any idea what the Dutch are doing? And I think no. the answer was vibes, and I think a lot of the answer uh, that I saw on social media was just trying not to play defense to the extent possible. And let's just kind of send people wherever we want to send them and see what happens. And I thought it made for a pretty interesting game. The second half certainly uh, even more compelling than that. And I think uh, Bushchan, the Ukrainian goalkeeper, did not really help uh their cause. I think it, you could hold him responsible for all three goals if you wanted to. I would say definitely responsible for at least two. Uh and maybe a stronger performance there, a little bit more confidence between the sticks and this goes a different way in the end, but it doesn't and the Netherlands get the results and Frank de Boer is now a
2: genius manager we all knew him to be, right Joe? Oh yes. No, I mean, we can we can make jokes <laughs> about that, right? And as soon as Ukraine was coming back and it was it was 2-0 right and yep. then Ukraine brought it back to 2-2 I mean, there were so many people popping off on Twitter about Frank DeBoer and talking about, oh, you know, we expected this. Those mistakes me. weren't those. I mean, Graham, but I mean, you're you're a rational human being, right? <laughs> the, those mistakes weren't Frank DeBoer's well. fault. They were some weird defensive moments. But the, the Dutch came out in this game and played a, a free-flowing possession style that looked like what he wanted that Atlanta United team to look like back in Major League Soccer. They were moving. They had a definable structure. They moved with pace. They had Dumfries making runs in behind to provide some verticality. They had... Wijnaldum making late-arriving runs into the box. That's how they get their opener. There was a lot to like about how the Netherlands approached this game, how they played. There was a lot not to like as well with some of the defensive moments. Sure, I'll I'll give you that. But I I don't think Frank de Boer set this team up in a poor way at all, to be honest. Um,
0: Joe, I think you just used the phrase, they had a definable structure. Could you elaborate on that, please? Because I'm I'm, I'm not 100% sure I (laughs) saw that.
2: (laughs) Yes, they came out in this 3-5-2 is what it's listed as, wherever you're going to find a lineup. But... I was seeing a lot in possession this 3-4-2-1, almost the exact same shape, a little bit more fluid, but a very similar shape to what Belgium used yesterday and to what Italy used on Friday. And that it seems to be a trend that a lot of the big teams across global soccer are using that shape. It gives you good width across the attack. And in this game, the Netherlands had their big number nine, Veghorst, as that that central striker. And then they had Winaldum deeper, but as that right-sided attacking midfielder. And then Depay drip, drifting and dropping on that left side to be opposite Winaldum. Had the double pivot of Darun and DeYong and then the back three and the wing backs providing width. And it was very fluid. And there were a lot of rotations. Darun was dropping in really weird spots that he didn't need to be in. But the overall macro view of this team, they they definitely had spacing in possession, and I, I think it worked out for them.
0: Um, Graham, I'll come to you to talk about Denzel Dumfries because he sounds like he's from Scotland. Um... He, he seems yeah. to be a standout player for them. Netherlands, certainly in my opinion. He, he was giving them lots of options on that right channel. Uh, missed a sitter of a header and made up for it. Got the, his first international goal and the go-ahead goal? Do we call it that? Sure. Winning goal. <laughs> Winning goal. Okay.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll look, um, you know, Joe's the tactics guy and I'll always bow to his knowledge and tactics. I don't, I don't know. I, I just felt like, in particular in the first half, the number of times I saw Malinowski. Just running 30 yards with the ball through the Netherlands midfield. And I just wondered a little bit where their midfield was. And, 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 and with regards to, to Denzel Dumfries, um, who I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure is an answer to one of those, you know, those, those BuzzFeed quizzes where you, you pick like your, your, your mother's like, first uh, maiden name and then like a Scottish town yeah. or something like that so if, I, I, I'm sure there are other there are other players called like Kenny Kerkoddy and Gordon Greenick um, <laughs> along up there with Denzel Dumfries but I don't know the, the number of times Dumfries had a good game but it felt like a lot of chances were falling to a right wing back who I'm, I'm not entirely sure obviously he scores the winning goal in this and it comes from a Nathan Aki cross and that's another thing I'm like, was that the plan? Nathan Ake is swinging in crosses for the right wing back to get his head on the end of? I I don't know. Like it it just felt a little bit, to me watching it, it felt a little bit slapdash and it was great entertainment and their their individual quality got them over the line against Ukraine, you know, just because they, I think they have better players, but I I don't know how much of it was actually a plan, to be honest. That was just my impression.
1: Yeah, I would would echo that, uh, to be honest. And I would Mm. say that like, I don't think it's wrong of us to, like, praise Gareth Southgate as England win, but then also, like, criticize Frank de Boer as, as the Netherlands win, because Frank de Boer, I think we have a larger sample size of things not necessarily working out for him. And so to watch this game, I saw positives, but then there's this strange thing for me of he makes changes in the 64th minute. It's a double substitution. Uh, they are, I think, yeah, they're already 2-0 up at that point. Then Ukraine, pull it back, two goals, and then the Dutch score the winner, and then he makes changes again. And I don't know if that was him trusting in the players and having already made the adjustments to sort of trust the players to figure it out, which does seem to be his reputation. He's more of a, I'm going to be quiet and let the players do what they need to do. But simultaneously, if it is the players sort of figuring things out on their own and then he makes changes after they're ahead again... I don't know if that's a ringing endorsement either. So it's, it's a difficult one to know exactly who got it right and who got it wrong or what was right and what was wrong. And I think we'll only know that as we watch maybe their next game or uh, the remainder of their group stage games to get a better sense of, is this team coming together? Does he have a vision or are they sort of battling because they're a very good team or a lot of very good individuals, but against stronger opponents, do they start to come undone? We'll have to wait and see. Well, well and, can- and just
2: to... Sorry, Ryan, just to add quickly, I think I'm the most pro-Frank DeBoer from this game person in this conversation at the moment, but I will say some of the defensive lapses from the Netherlands were were really poor, right? And, And a lot of those were individual mistakes leading up to those two goals. But there was a certain a structural element to that as well. They were pressing, the Netherlands were pressing so high, counter after they lose the ball, possessing high up the field. It felt like they did lack structure and, and just weren't ready to deal with Ukraine out in the open field as the game wore on. And so that, that can be something that we trace back to Frank de Boer, maybe indirectly. But yeah, I, I don't know. I just wanted to add that in there. I'm not saying this was a perfect game plan from the Netherlands. I'm not saying they were miles ahead the better team, but I, I guess there's more that I liked in this game, generally speaking.
0: Well, that was going to be my exact question for you, Joe. Are they intending to do any defending in this tournament? Because it's certainly <laughs> okay. seen, they're certainly, definitely missing Van Dijk on the set pieces, at the very least. And and, and I echo what Graham said about the, you know where the central midfield was. De Jong was getting away from it and running out of it as much as possible it seemed leaving some interesting spaces uh for ukraine but i you know i i'm here for narrative i'm here for vibes i'm here for chaos and i was told frank the ball games will be boring and this one hasn't been so i'm pretty happy with that and the dutch they had you know really good ball movement uh you know they all the, the wingbacks bombing away De Jong being pretty entertaining the way he was getting forward and uh in the transition and Veghorst who's like a young peter crouch with his limbs everywhere i thought he was fantastic uh, but i suppose my question uh graham is how far did the Dutch actually go in this tournament playing like this? Because there are some shortcomings.
3: Well, they're clearly going to lose to Scotland in the, in the last 16 game. <laughs> um, hey, the, the, look, the thing is, we played them in a warm-up match and we were the better team. And I don't care what anyone says, we were the better team in that game. Yes, it was 2-2 and we conceded late on. But I w- I would, if we play the Dutch, I'm, I'm fancying our chances, to be honest, uh, as bullish as that may sound. But... That's that. That's all to say. Basically, I don't think the Netherlands are going to get that far. If I'm saying that Scotland would fancy their chances against them,
0: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And uh, perhaps Taylor, we should give a little nod to the Ukraine as well. We did. We did know that they they are not to be. Um, you know, they're not just here to make up the numbers. This team, they can be creative. They can get forward. They can counter. Very high quality goals they scored in this one, and maybe they did take advantage of some of the, the Netherlands' chaos. But I was pretty impressed with what I saw from them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think maybe Frank DeBar, or DeBoer could have, uh, done some prepping as to Yarmolenko cutting inside. I feel like we, we kind of know <laughs> he likes to do that, and that's exactly what he did, but take nothing away, because that's an incredible strike, and it really isn't perfect. Uh, the Remchek header, I I do kind of buy into the idea that on set pieces, you have a better chance of defending them because you have time to prep for them. You have time to know exactly what you want to do and how you want to track them. And again, that is both a worrying sign for the Dutch, but also I would say a strong side for Ukraine that they fought their way back into it and, and were able to make something happen. And it felt like maybe get a result, either a draw or a win. I would say Chan, the goalkeeper, having the performance he did is the major drawback, I think, that he... Again, I think it's maybe harsh to say all three, but certainly for the opening goal, he spills it on the cross coming in, and it allows Wijnaldum the easy pass in. Yes, he has to kind of dive across and make a play, but still, to have it just kind of spill into the top of the box, that's very open. I think the winner hits off of his leg, though maybe he's screened a little bit. And then the second goal, I think for the way he comes out and it's just it's not a very strong performance from him on that one. I don't think he he did the best in getting it. Excuse me. I had them flipped around. One of them is green. One of them, I think his footwork is really poor and he's just not able by the time he set the ball is already going into the goal. And I think probably could have done better with that one. So overall, a less than stellar performance from their goalkeeper.
0: Yeah, well, uh, but a stellar game, I'll say, Taylor, because, you know, you you can suffer some fatigue when you're watching your third game of the day, but I was delighted that this one was so entertaining. True. I'd say best goal, best game we've had, best goal we've had so far, best game we've had so far, best kit combination as well, the orange and the blue and yellow, oh, Mm -hmm. it looked fabulous. I was worried
1: we weren't going to get it, because we haven't got some of the other ones, I thought maybe one of them was going to be forced to wear white, so I was very happy that we got the colour combination we all wanted.
0: We did indeed, and as I say, orange is my favourite colour, and I'm a sucker for teams that play in blue and yellow, so this one was perfect for me gents uh, that's a, a, a lovely little pricing we've done of the games that we had today let's have a very quick look ahead to Monday's games Graham Scotland taking on the Czech Republic at Hamden Park cool, how, how, how close do you live to Hamden
3: uh, yeah, pretty pretty close. About uh, ten minute drive as a way. I said I am. I live in the south side of Glasgow, and uh, Hamden is in the south side of Glasgow, so pretty close. Yeah.
0: So, like, open the windows and you can hear it, kind of deal. Or oh, probably not with the with the crowd we're going to have there, but um.
3: And also with the building site, uh, <laughs> it makes it
0: difficult. Steamrollers probably won't be rolling while this game is happening. I'm imagining, though, Graham. What are your thoughts on how this one's going to shake out?
3: I'm pleased this game is happening first because. I think it tells us where we are. If Scotland lose this game, this tournament just becomes about enjoying ourselves and just having a bit of a jolly to be honest. And if we win it, it's it's obviously f- truly on to get out of the group. Um so I th- I think if we if we want to get out of the group it needs to be 3 points. I, th- I I don't have any fear playing Croatia. I have to say I think Croatia at home is is having seen them today I think is 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 a winnable game for Scotland to be honest but I I don't I don't think you can count on that one as much as the as this game against Czech Republic.
1: Graham if you don't mind what would be the thing like aside from scoring a goal or conceding a goal what would be the sign for you that Scotland are playing well and then what would be the sign for you that Scotland are maybe not executing the way you want them to what what is the sort of like oh no they're doing that again (laughs) that's not good. <laughs> Tierney. If Tierney is
3: getting forward with the, the ball at his feet, if he's getting to the byline, byline at will, I think that means things are working for Scotland because he's, he's so, as I think I said in the, in the preview podcast, it was, it was, a, it became a little bit of a joke of how Scotland are going to fit two brilliant left backs into the same team. And Steve Clark has actually done it. And not only has he done it, Kieran Tierney, uh bombing forward from the, the left side of centre back position has been, become a key part of how we play. So if that's if that's happening, then it's it's going well. And if we're kind of lumping forward uh, balls up to London Dykes and and kind of feeding off scraps, then I think that's a sign that it's not going well.
0: Uh, the midday game we have Poland against Slovakia. I made reasonably clear that I think Slovakia are going to be pretty poor in this tournament. Joe, any thoughts on what Poland might do here?
2: Well, after we talked about them in the preview, they lost their uh, Robert Lewandowski lost as Robin. Essentially, they lost Arkadiusz Milik as mm-hmm. that that strike partner for Lewandowski in their three-five-two. So, I'm still expecting to see a similar shape, just with a different option next to Lewandowski. But that's that's the matchup, right? Poland have a really strong midfield that can get balls forward. They'll have wing backs that will push forward if they're using that three at the back, five at the back shape. I'm excited to see how Poland adapt losing one of their key players, being without one of their key players. But yeah, I mean, all eyes, just like all eyes were on David Alaba and, and Sabitzer in that Austria game earlier today, all eyes will be on Robert Lewandowski uh, and, and his midfield partners. He's not in midfield, but you get the idea. Tomorrow for Poland.
0: Will be indeed. And Taylor, the last game of the day, the 3 p.m. game on Monday uh from Group E, Spain in Seville taking on Sweden. What do you think of that one?
1: Uh, I think that we will have a fully vaccinated Spanish team. So that's a start. I, I think I read that the army came in and vaccinated them. So we don't have as with many like vaccine issues. Vaccine cannons with... or something? I, that's a great question, Ryan. I also don't know how it's been, unless they got Johnson & Johnson, how it's resolved now that they've they all did. been vaccinated. Is that what it was? Yeah, they did. They got the single dose one. There we go. Graham knows things. thinks. knows things. He does. So it sounds like they will have uh, pretty much their full strength team ready to go. I would say that my understanding of Sweden from the preview and from watching them previously is that they will probably be more defensive and they will try to frustrate Spain. Spain, for their, for their part, want to play the kind of possession style we would expect. Keep the ball. Move the ball. Possession is defending that sort of philosophy. So... I think I'm going to be looking to see if Spain are able to pull Sweden apart and create good chances by halftime. Or if we do end up seeing them have to go direct and if, say, Adama Traore is brought on to run at a compact defense but trying to make something happen, I think that's going to tell the tale. If if Spain can stay patient and pass their way through and take advantage of the opportunities they will get with the strength they do have, I think that will tell us that they're playing the game they want. If we see them start like lumping in crosses and trying to make some like fast fast break counter attacks and stuff like that, I think the game is maybe not going according to plan for Luis Enrique
0: wonderful stuff thank you very much gents i do love the group stage yet n- another great tranche of games we've got coming tomorrow just before we leave gents uh, graham i've just found the scottish player name generator we were talking about that earlier with denzel dumfries would you like to hear your, uh, ha- me to give you the formula for your scottish name yeah yeah uh, go for it so the first name is the long number across your credit card the surname is the ccv number <laughs> and the expiry date so if you just want to give us that now um we'll, we'll work it out <laughs>
3: Right, I was looking forward to an actual uh, one of one of these formulas. I'm, I'm disappointed. I'll, I'll I'll WhatsApp you the the card details if you want. There's nothing. There's not much
0: in there anyway. That's fine. I mean, I'm only going to use it to subscribe to your OnlyFans, so uh, you know it, it's, it's coming back to
1: you anyway. <laughs> Fair enough. Can I just say that I I it took me even longer than it should have when you said like the the credit card. I was like, how, did, is there a code? Do the numbers become letters? And then I realized what was happening. I'm real smart.
0: Yeah. Do you get fished often? taylor on your email by any
1: chance <laughs> uh no not as much as we get offers for people to transcribe the podcast i don't know why that's an industry but it is i'm not joking i get that like once every couple days
0: all right well i'm off to write my email to taylor to try and sell him the bridge i have to sell but in the meantime Ooh. thank you very Does much go to Jeff- nowhere
1: <laughs> we're
0: on a road to nowhere aren't we all there taylor we thank you very much for your time today sir right back at you buddy graham ruthven good luck with the scotland thing you got going on
3: I'm, I'm going to try and sleep tonight. Uh, I'm not that hopeful, not because Scotland are playing, but because it's uh, 17 degrees here, and that's quite warm for me to get some sleep. So, <laughs> And Joe Lowry,
0: I hope you can tolerate the uh, slightly warmer than Wembley weather you have there in Arizona.
2: Oh, well, I'll certainly do my best, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> All right then. Bye! <laughs>